This morning we are continuing our walk as we have done for the last year or so. As we take the Lord's Supper together, we have been in in the Gospel of John. Now last time we were in chapter 8 and kind of the overarching theme that you find in chapter 8 is that he is the light. That he is the light. And so you can, you can glance over that. If you can see your, your Bible there, you, can, and, and you see in 8.12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's, he's drawing at this idea of what it is to follow Jesus. I want you to see this. When we get into chapter 9, John moves into the realm of, of what's commonly referred to as an enacted parable. And so when you're reading through the Gospels, you come across a parable. And so in Jesus, he teaches a lot of these, but occasionally he will take a situation and he'll, he'll walk through the situation and then the writer of one of the Gospels will say, this is why he showed us this. Or this is what he taught us in the midst of this. Or Jesus will himself will say, this is what you need to pick up on in this situation. I believe what we see here in John 9 is an enacted parable continuing this idea of what it is to fully understand that Jesus is light, that outside of Jesus there is no light. There is only darkness. But it's a radically different conversation. Chapter 8, really, Jesus is engaging with, with religious leaders and he is wrangling with them over the understanding of the text and kind of how these things work out. In chapter 9, we meet a, a man who's just a common guy. And, and the whole weight of this narrative section is carried in his conversation with people. And so we see Jesus at the beginning. We see references to him through dialogue. But we don't see Jesus again until the end of chapter 9. Look here as chapter 9 opens up. It says, speaking of Jesus, he says, And he passed, and as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples begin to ask him. See, Jesus' disciples, they walk by, and, and John offers us the commentary that this guy was blind from the moment he was born. It's not that something happened to him when he was a child. It's not something that happened to him in the weeks before. This guy has always been blind. Let that reality sink into you. He didn't know color. He didn't know texture. He'd never seen the night sky or the clouds pass by in the day. He didn't know what his father's face looked like. He knew his voice. He knew the contours of his face. But he could not pick him out of a lineup. He had never seen. He's been blind his whole life. All he's ever known is darkness. But really, even in that, he's not able to comprehend what darkness is because he's never seen darkness in contrast to light. So the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, you got to let us know something. Was this guy, did he do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? In effect, they want to say, why did this happen to him? You got to let us know. Well, the disciples were entering into a theological debate which was prevalent in that day where the religious leaders in the Jewish faith were, they would assign blame, some of them, according to the child or his parents. That they had a prevailing belief that you could actually sin in utero. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I'm certain that there were times my wife's pregnancy where she was also under the assumption that, that the child could sin in utero. It led to vomiting. It led to nausea. It led to pickles at midnight. It led to a lot of things. 
And so Jesus, he cuts right to the heart of the matter. He says, look, you're missing it. It's not that this man sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. But what is going to happen to this man today is going to be a demonstration of the glory of God in his life. He says, neither that, that he sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the glory of God might be manifested. And he says this, verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was bringing light and in some of the darkest places. He was seeking to bring light into the religious leaders who themselves thought that they could see. They thought they knew what light was and how these things work together. So Jesus tells his disciples this. He corrects their understanding. In verse 6, it says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. That's just what it sounds like. Jesus walks over to this guy that's laying on the ground. He bends down in front of him, and he goes, he spits there, and he picks up that dirt, and he begins to work it in his hands. And he reaches over to the man's eyes, and he begins to rub it across his eyes. And he tells this man, not that he is healed, but he gives the instruction to the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus goes to this blind man, and, and, and likely he's not very familiar with people touching him. He's used to calling out as he hears people come by, as he feels vibrations in the ground. And, and, but he's not used to someone touching him. Jesus reaches over. He hears Jesus spit. He hears the, the dirt being rubbed in his fingers. He feels the sensation as it's rubbed across his eyes. And he's given a simple instruction. Blind man, get up and go on your own. Go to this pool and wash. He's blind. He's got to stumble, trip, and fall, make his way a considerable distance from where he is, and to take Jesus at his word. Now, this is something I want you not to pass over. Jesus doesn't tell him, if you do this, you will be healed. He simply gives him an instruction, and the man follows in faithful obedience. He follows in faithful obedience. What we read in the text says, so he went and washed and came back seeing. The guy goes down there, he washes his eyes, his eyes open, and for the first time in his life, he understands what darkness is. He understands darkness because he now knows darkness in contrast to what light is. He sees colors, things he'd only known by sound, he sees in sight. Uh, things he'd only known through smells, he now discovers, well, that's why that's unpleasant to step in. Uh, people that he only ever knew their voices, now he sees what they look like. He's able to understand people in a way he was never able to before. His mind is being transformed because he finally is able to see. So the guy's able to see, and, 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 and stumbling turns to running, and he goes back to his home, and all these people begin to see him, and some of them are saying, who is this guy? Who is he? Verse 8 says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, this is how they knew him. He is for us the nameless blind beggar, but they knew him. And so they begin to say, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is and no said no. It's just somebody that looks a lot like him. 
This is how shocking it was for them. Some of the people, when this guy came running up, and he's calling out, and he says, you need to say something to me so I know who you are. They would say, and he's like, John. And they'd say, yes. They're like, oh, oh, no, no. How do you know my name, friend? Because the man I know is blind. And so they begin to engage him in this dialogue. And what we find are there are those that say, he can't be him. It makes no sense that this is him. And others say, absolutely, something amazing, something transformative, something we have never heard of has happened to this man who was born blind, the man we knew, the man we passed by, the man we cared nothing for. Some said, this is the man. Others said, no, but it is one like him. So they asked him, verse 10, they said to him, then how were your eyes open, friend? How did this come to happen to you? The man answered simply. He said, the man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Look at this simple, faithful obedience. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they asked him, where is he now? The man knew nothing of Jesus. In fact, they said, how did this happen? He said, there's a guy named Jesus. This is what he did. This is what he told me. This is what happened. And so the next logical question, especially for those who have discomfort or, or maladies of their own, is where is he? Where can I find him? And you can almost see the guy think, you know, I don't know. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And so in verse 13, we find that they take the man to the Pharisees. It says they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. John offers us a key piece of, it, of uh, insight here in verse 14. He says, now it was the Sabbath. When Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, he is letting us know that there is likely going to be a problem. This is a little bit of foreshadowing here by John. Verse 15 says, So the Pharisees, they asked again of the man how he had received his sight, and he gives them very much the same story. He said, This being Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, he washed, and I see. The Pharisees are faced with a quandary. They... They've got to figure out how to receive this. Because you, you recognize that, that every time Jesus performs a miracle on the Sabbath, they militate against that. They hate that he has done that. It destroys them. And so there are some in this group that say, <clears throat> look, this can't be from God. This can't be from God. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others of the Pharisees say, how can a man who is such a sinner do these things? And we find that there was a division among them. You see, there was a provision in that day that the Pharisees abided by an addition they had, they had added into the law. The law forbade work on the Sabbath, and they said there should be no kneading on the Sabbath. And so when Jesus spit into the dirt and worked it into mud, he was effectively kneading. They said he's violated the Sabbath. He's violated it. So some of them think that this guy isn't from God. Others of them think that he is because they say the act is just too amazing. And so coming to this contention and not knowing how to move forward, they turn to the man. And they say, you tell us who he is. 
You tell us who this man is. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? This man who starts by calling him a man named Jesus. When the question is put to him, who do you say that he is or what kind of man is he? His sight is beginning to move from just vision to understanding. He moves from just calling him a man named Jesus to now he answers and he says he is a prophet. You see, as we come to the Lord's Supper, whether or not you are taking the Lord's Supper centers around how you answer the question of who Jesus is and what he has done and and how you have responded to that. Because in the Lord's Supper, what we recognize is Christ's sacrificial death, that he died on the cross, that he took on himself the consequence, the payment for our sins, that he suffered and died, that he willingly yielded up his life. The text tells us as a propitiation for sins. We read that in 1 John 2. What that means is that the wrath of God had to be satisfied. God is good, holy, righteous, and just. He must punish sin. So Jesus chose to stand in the midst of that and to receive the wrath of God. And he invites all to come and to rejoice and to celebrate and to receive forgiveness in him and in his sacrifice. In the Lord's Supper, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember his body, which was broken. We remember his blood, which was let out. Friends, as we prepare to take the bread in a moment together, think of the moment that you begin to receive sight. And think of the progression that he has moved you through in opening your eyes more and more as you have continued to know him, as the light of his life in the gospel has made its way further and further into your life. As we pick back up here in John 9, you remember that the, the, the Pharisees are torn. They don't want to receive that, that, or some of them don't want to receive that this guy is from God. He's done a work of healing on the Sabbath. Others look at it and they say, you know, I don't know. This is a pretty amazing thing. He's got to be from God. They kick it back to the guy. Who is he? He says, a prophet. It's interesting. They found a way around it. They found a way around it. Verse 18 says, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? They've got this guy in front of them that is under the testimony of the people that have brought him, and what he says to them is that he was born blind. They don't like that. It's great attention in their group. And so they reach out and they say, who else can come and offer testimony about this guy? We got it. The guy's parents. And so they bring his parents in and they throw the question to him. Ultimately, you're responsible for this guy. You tell us how this came to be. You tell us how this came to be. How can he see? Well, his parents are nervous. They're brought before 
a, a group that, that not just controls what happens in the temple, but that, that runs, in effect, their entire community, their way of life. If they get foul of these people, it is ostracism on a whole nother level. Like it's ostracism on a whole nother level. Each of you probably have somebody in your family you don't care for, so you kind of cut them out. You put boundaries in place, you, you greet them politely at Christmas. Hey, how are you? Yeah, how's your year been? How's your, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. See you in 12 months. And then you walk over to your spouse and you say, that was awkward. Every year I, gr- I regret those eight words we have to share. She's right behind me, isn't she? But it's ostracism on a whole nother level. It, it's, it's losing their entire community, their way of life. So you have to understand that when you read his parents' response. His parents answer in verse 20 and they say, we know this is our son. They look at him and they say, that's our boy. We know, we can answer that, he's our boy. And we also tell you he was, without a doubt, born blind. We didn't know it at first, but through the course of his life, we observed that he never saw He couldn't see anything. He's our son. He's born blind. Yes, we can answer those things for you. Verse 21. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. They wash their hands. They say, we don't want to be culpable. Understand, this isn't something we affected. We didn't go to him and say, Johnny, what you need to do today is beg in this place because Jesus is going to come by. Jesus is going to come by and maybe he'll do the same thing for you he's done for some others. His parents look at it and they say, we don't know. We don't know how he sees. We don't know anything about the man that healed him. And they say, you need to ask him. He's of age. Ask him, he speaks for himself. And in essence, they were saying, look, he is older than 13. He can speak for himself. They were terrified. They were afraid. We find in the text that The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents wash their hands of it. That's why they kick it back to him and say, you need to ask him. They're afraid of the consequences of even tacitly endorsing Jesus. So the text tells us in verse 24, it says, For the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Now, it's not that they invited him into their midst and said, what we want to do is give glory to God, friends. Raise your hand up in the air and dance a little ditty for Jesus. Dance a little ditty for God. No, what they're telling him in essence is, it's, it's just like we tell our kids, and I can remember my parents telling me when I came into the rooms, they said, this is it. This is your opportunity. You come clean. You fess up. Tell us the truth. Tell us what we want to hear. They told him, and in their understanding, this is the only way God could be glorified was if this man were to come back in and tell them what they wanted to hear. Hmm. He said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Looking at Jesus, basing their identity of who Jesus is upon the work that he did on the Sabbath. They say, look, we know this Jesus guy is a sinner. You give glory to God by admitting that, by, by saying that to us right now. This man received sight, received sight from Jesus. He's moved from just knowing him as a man, he's recognizing he is a prophet, 
But he comes in and he says in verse 25, he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Man, is that not all of our stories? That our former way of existence in life, we were blind, we were lost, we were wandering. That Jesus comes to us like he came to this man, that he anoints us in salvation, that he opens our eyes and gives to us sight. And they go back to him and they say, all right, let's go over this one more time. Verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You know, effectively for them, they're thinking, you know, maybe we missed some details of this. Uh, Frequently, we miss details. I find myself over and over again when people are telling me stories, having to stop them and saying, you know what? I think I missed something about 15 minutes ago because I don't understand a word you're saying now. And so they ask him, tell us again how this happened. Tell us again what, exactly what he did to you. The man responds in 27. He says, I told you already and you would not listen. He asked him, he says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? He turns to them. He says, are you so interested in this? You want to, you want to be like me? You want to go and you want to follow this guy, this guy Jesus who I know is a prophet? Do you want to go and follow him too? Do you want to turn from your way of life in ignorance? And do you want to give yourself to follow Jesus? Woo! Man, he stepped in it. He said that to them. And I, I just see them like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they are, they're getting angry. You've seen the little commercials where people drop Mentos into the Diet Coke and it shoots up in there. You're like, Diet Coke, so peace and calm. Mentos, so refreshing. But when you combine those two, it's ugly. He goes in there to the Pharisees and he tells them, and he asks them a question. He says, do you want to be his disciples too? They react violently. They react so violently. Hmm. It says in verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They're saying, this guy is inferior because we follow Moses and this is what we know about Moses We know that Moses has spoken to God, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The guy hears that. He hears their their response of ignorance. He says, are you kidding me? You don't know where this guy came from? You don't know anything about this guy? How can it be you who are the religious leaders don't know anything about this guy? Man, he says, this is such an amazing thing. This is such an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes, and he begins, friends, to just to wax eloquent. He begins to tell them exactly who Jesus is and what he has done, and he begins to impart to the religious leaders of his day what it is to truly know and understand God. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, verse 31, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He gets it. He recognizes that the thing Jesus did that no one has ever done, that no one could ever do, and he says he could not be against God. He has to be from God on the basis of what he's done. Don't you get it? He's imploring them. He's begging them. See it. Open your eyes. Quit being blind and move into the light. 
Verse 34, they answer him. They say, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us. They offer an offensive word to the man. And they kick him out of their midst. This guy got it. Let me show you even further. There are three references in Isaiah, but let's flip over to Isaiah 29, 18. There's a messianic reference. Talking about how things will be when the Messiah comes. He says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. He got it. He made the connection. Jesus, the coming Messiah, had restored sight to the blind. Jesus, the coming Messiah, was calling men and women from darkness and into light. Jesus, the coming Messiah, who declared in John eight twelve, who declared there in the opening words, of chapter 9, I am the light. Calls all men and women to a ready recognition of that fact and a response. And friends, their response was one of blindness. They kicked the guy out. In verse 35, we, we see that Jesus heard that the man got kicked out. And so he walks over to the man and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus is seeking to advance his understanding. He's seeking to give him ever-increasing sight. The man said, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus lets him know that he was absolutely on the right course. Jesus lets him know that the one he knew as a man called Jesus, the one he progressively understood as a prophet, the one he rightly knew was to be followed, is none other than the Messiah come who is bringing salvation. And this guy offers us the only right response to the testimony of Jesus. Coming to this understanding Verse 38, he responded, he said, Lord, I believed. And the text tells us that he fell on his face and he worshiped. He fell on his face and he worshiped. Jesus says these words, he says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Jesus says, I came in to expose things for the way they are those who are humble, who recognize their inability, who recognize their dependence, who forsake their pride, who approach him in humility, receive sight. Those who think they've got it all figured out and all worked out, they are left for it to be truly revealed that they are in fact blind. Some of the Pharisees, verse 40, near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? See, they thought being blind was the, their problem. 
Jesus said to them, he said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There is no place for pride, for the sense of independence that you can overcome all the obstacles of your life. There's no place for compartmentalizing Jesus. But he invites us, as he did the blind man, to recognize in humility that he brings sight. See, some of you find your place at at different interactions, different intersections in this story. Some of you, you recognize in your blindness your need for a savior to give you light, to show you the difference between darkness and light. And others of you, you've, you've been stuck in darkness so long that you wouldn't know light. You don't truly understand darkness because you've never seen it contrasted with light. Some of you, there was a time when you recognized light, the gospel came in and infused light, but you've been filling your life for so long in the darkness of the world. Pride, I heard this week referred to as the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently makes its way into your life. It manifests itself in it seeks to blind you to the coming death. Wherever you find yourself, Jesus invites all to recognize that he is light, that in him and in his fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, there is no darkness. And as we read in Colossians that he transfers us, he seeks to transfer you from darkness and into light.